Hi there. Welcome back to the Real Film Chronicles podcast. As always, I'm Nathan. And I'm Brian. And in this week's very special episode, we're going to be taking a look at a little film called Godzilla Minus One. Very special indeed. This is a... This was like an unexpected little uh, nugget of a movie to come out after what seems like a resurgence in Godzilla movies in North America. Yeah. Right? We've been blasted with, um, is it four movies of the Monsterverse now that started in 2014? Godzilla, directed by Gareth Edwards. Then you had, what, Godzilla King of the Monsters. You had... um, Kong Skull Island, yeah. Then Godzilla versus Kong. Then now we're having what is it? Godzilla X Kong. Uh, yeah, coming out. So in March, I think. In a March, months. March twenty twenty four. That's coming out. So yeah, we've uh, there's been quite a few Godzilla movies in recent years, trying to build out their quote unquote uh, monster verse. Yeah, and that's the American side of it. The Japanese side has seen significantly less Godzilla movies over the years. Uh, I shouldn't say the years, over recent, recent years, yeah. history, because <laughs> there are over 30 Japanese Godzilla movies yeah. that, have, that have hit the market since uh, the debut in uh, 1955, sorry, 1954 in Japan. This is, the, this is one of the confusing things with a lot of Godzilla movies is that they release in Japan and then we get like an Americanized version of it a year later. And notoriously, like the the first Godzilla is like that, where they add in a whole new storyline to the movie with an American actor, kind of like interject into the film and cut out parts of the original film, replace it with this. And then you have like a Godzilla American version, 1955, but the Japanese original is 1954. And that happens repeatedly, repeatedly until recently. Shin Godzilla came out here a little while ago. What was that like? 2016, I think, right? 2016 and that one saw a small theatrical run here. I saw it. I didn't see it in theaters, but I saw it was listed here for like a week, maybe. And now Godzilla minus one, the latest one uh, from Japan saw a pretty sizable North American theatrical release. I think it was in like 2000 screens. And I think I just saw that scene in an expansion because it's doing so well. It's getting more theaters, more showtimes added, but Godzilla is a big, he's a big monster, but he's a big topic is what I was thinking. It was just like, he's a big deal, right? Oh, he's, he's big. And I know you and I talked about maybe doing uh, the American Godzilla movies. Uh, I think with that Godzilla versus Kong, but we never really got around to it. But before we get into minus one, like what is the, what is your history with Godzilla? Like, are you a fan of Godzilla in general? Yeah, I think uh, um, just just for the record, I think uh, Brian's our resident Godzilla expert. But Godzilla was one of those, like you said, he was so big, he was so it was his brand name. It was ubiquitous in pop culture by the time we were born, and so I, yeah. I grew up like obviously there are references to Godzilla in like movies and TV shows. When we were young, we would go to you know video rental stores and the library and either rent or borrow. We would just like look at random Godzilla movies if we were bored on a Saturday afternoon. So I saw stuff, yeah. just random ones like Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Like I saw whatever the one is it Godzilla versus Mothra specifically. There was one where it was like Mothra in there, I think. Saw a couple, and then really it ramped up. Like in was it 1998 or 1999 when Roland Emmerich released that Godzilla movie? Yeah. Um, which at the time, I, I don't know. 
I think people are look reevaluating it now. As as a kid, it didn't really capture my attention. It was a big tentpole movie, but wasn't huge. Um, so it was really I kind of got hooked, or I kind of got introduced to Godzilla, like really watching Godzilla in, in the modern age with yeah, you know that 2014 version, and then really like the one that really kind of blew me away was Shin Godzilla. Shin Godzilla, I watched, and I was like, mm-hmm. okay, so this is what. This is what a Godzilla movie could be. Um, not to yeah. not to discount. I haven't seen. This might be sacrilege. I haven't seen the original yet. I haven't seen like a lot of those thirty movies you were talking about. I'm not going to say there's a place for like the kind of B movie kind of schlocky Godzilla. I think that's one of the, the abilities of or one of the um, reasons why Godzilla has lasted this long is is because you know. Toho Studio, the you know the production company that uh, produced the first movie, and I think they still hold the rights to all this stuff, right? Yeah. But they've constantly in- invented and reinvented Godzilla in multiple iterations, and that's why, you know, like the the American versions right now, like the, all, all the ones we discussed, Godzilla and Godzilla versus Kong, they're fun little popcorn movies. They don't really have too much to say, and that's fine. But then there's also mm-hmm. you have the Godzilla, like Shin Godzilla and Godzilla minus one, that have that are steeped in kind of social context and social commentary, and are are just great films in their own own right, and that's great too. So you have the whole spectrum for the from schlock to you know Academy Award uh, winning potential movies, and it's uh, you know you can you can take your pick, you can pick, take your flavor of King Kong, not King Kong, you can take your flavor of King Kong, <laughs> but you can also take your fla- flavor of Godzilla. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of my been my journey so far. I'm hoping to go back and start in the maybe in my 2024 project will be to go back and watch all the Godzilla movies, um, you know, from A to Z. But how about you, Brian? What's your journey with Godzilla? I know he's a lot more. He was a lot more part of your kind of seminal in your film journey, right? Yeah, and I think it was a lot of recording Godzilla movies off of TV. We had a bunch of beta VHS laid around and like just watching this, especially with my dad. um, It was just a lot of Godzilla movies. And it was kind of funny. Like when you watch them like that, this is back in the eighties and nineties. It's like, you're not, you don't necessarily remember which Godzilla movies you're watching. And (laughs) when I mentioned that some of them were like the Americanized version, like there are different cuts of the movie. And when you say like, Oh, Mothra was in this one. It's like Mothra was in a lot of Godzilla movies. And a lot of the monsters are recurring. And I mean, it was, I always loved them, but like Godzilla and all these movies, but I never had a handle of what one had actually seen or not, except for Godzilla 1984, which I think is just called Godzilla uh, in the US version from 1985, which was actually a reboot of the entire series for like the, the modern time at the 80s. So that's really what I jumped into it. I think that's mostly what I saw because they were pretty prolific on the uh, the rental shelves. But yeah. recently, in the past two years, like I, I bought that Godzilla Criterion box set. It has 15 movies, uh, which are sort of like that original 15 run up until that reboot in the 80s. So that's from 1954 through to like the mid-70s. Is that a specific era? Because I know they have them broken up into different like eras almost based on, I don't know if it was like directors or studios or something or... Or how that works? Yeah. And honestly, I don't know about the naming. I think they're okay, actually okay. like significant to like Japanese culture okay, at the time. Okay. But I'm just going to pull up the uh, the number here because you have, I think it's starting out with the Showa era, which is what the Showa, Criterion yeah. box set collects. And then you move on to the Haisai era, 
Um, that was in the 80s into the mid-90s. Uh, then you get into the Millennium Era, which I think started with um, Godzilla 2000. That was a Japanese release as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that one, I think you and I and one of our roommates uh, at the time watched that in like 2001 and 2002 or so. It was on DVD or not Blu-ray yet, but I think we had the DVD of it. Oh, really? One of the few titles that like came out, I think it was called, or maybe I think of another one, Godzilla Final Wars. There's (laughs) so many of them that it's easy to confuse them all together. But over the past couple of years, I did go through every single Godzilla movie in chronological order, starting with that Criterion box set, obtaining the original Japanese cuts of all the movies, watching all those, and then taking it a step further and watching a lot of Japanese sci-fi movies that are sort of in the Godzilla universe. Uh, There's a good list on Letterboxd. I'll try and remember to link it in, uh, in the show notes. It's called the Godzilla and Friends Marathon. It's composed of 46 films. And there's a lot of other monsters like Rodan and Mothra, had their own movies before they showed up in the Godzilla oh, films, right? Oh, so it was like a multiverse before multiverses were a thing. So in your, yeah. in your also in your MonsterVerse, is, is Gamera, is that like, does that show up then? Is that Gamera is a different company. A completely it's not different Toho. beast yeah. at all. Okay. And I think there's 15 Gamera movies or maybe 12. And uh, yeah, they're all kind of split into those same kind of different eras. Okay. Like there's a high side, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. My, my apologies, the Showa era, but... There's so much to get into there with Godzilla. Like it starts out serious and then they turn into like kind of campy movies where Godzilla is kind of like a cheeky hero of the films and he has lots of villains. Yeah. There's a different genre for everybody. They introduce space aliens. Like the, a lot of the monsters come from space. They're, they're regularly traveling in and out of, you know, our, our Milky way and stuff. Like it's just, it's bananas and all the other, sci-fi movies that surround it sort of talk more about the aliens because aliens might show up in one Godzilla movie and there's actually a movie where they're explored more. So there might be some of their origin and stuff, but there's a lot, a lot of Godzilla and it was a lot of fun going through the entire thing. And now is like the time to do it. Obviously that criterion box set is like the good starting point, but we're getting so much Godzilla right now. It's like, a Godzilla renaissance of sorts because <laughs> Toho stopped making Godzilla movies for a while. The Godzilla And sucks. one of the rumors was that the American Godzilla movie from 98 was so bad, <laughs> so ill-received <laughs> that they're like, we, the, the, Toho was like, we can't let that be one of the last Godzilla movies to come out. Like we need to start up another series here and start doing it like quote unquote properly, uh, which may or may not just involve uh, Godzilla is like a dude in a suit, right? It's just like, that's one of the mainstays of the series. <laughs> yeah. For, uh, before I ask this next question, I just want to make it clear. We're not sponsored by Criterion at all. No, no. In that Criterion box set, do they have the different versions for our, for our physical media lovers who listen to the show? Does that uh, Criterion box set with the 15 movies from the, from the Soho era? Or, was it Soho or so? The Showa. Showa era. Sorry. Soho. That's, that's a different era. <laughs> Showa era. <laughs> Does it have the, both the Japanese and American versions then, for example, the original? No, it only has the Japanese ones, except Ooh. for King Kong versus Godzilla. Okay. Uh, and the American version is treated like a bonus feature. Uh, so it's actually movie number 16 stuffed away on one of the bonus discs in the, okay. in the set. Okay. I know all the Japanese and American ones, a lot of the Blu-rays that have come out have both versions of them, but um, that might be the next project exploring the American 
Americanized Godzilla films. Yeah, yeah, that'd be interesting to to watch them. Like, because that's what I'd want to do. I want to watch like kind of back to back, like the original and the original yeah. and the American version, just to like see those compare those differences with like kind of when it's fresh in your mind. Be a really interesting uh, film project for those of you out there looking for such projects to uh, complete. And who who does that? I mean, if that's a fun weekly thing to do. If that's basically yeah. what I did every Thursday night for me became a Godzilla or Japanese sci-fi alien, some other monster movie in the Godzilla universe. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was something to look forward to every week. Now that there's not other things, but that was like, that's the routine. <laughs> Shin Godzilla was like pretty wild. It was a pretty wild film. We weren't sure if we we're going to get a follow-up to that movie. And instead we got Godzilla minus one, which is kind of a prequel. It's like, it is truly a relaunch. Yeah, of yeah. the Godzilla thing because even like that 1985 or 84 version it still felt a little wishy-washy that it was a reboot of the whole thing it's like they still seem like they could fit that original 1954 Godzilla into like the canon of okay. the events right okay. where it's like it's like a <laughs> probably not a good comparison of like the Halloween movies because they've been rebooted so many times you don't know which ones are part of the the overall story or not where it's just like Godzilla that first movie is always part of the story. It's just like, those events have always happened as far as I can remember. They've always happened and they always will happen. Yeah. <laughs> and then Godzilla minus one, bam, it's just like, here we go. We're starting completely fresh. Blank slate, yeah. And before we get into the movie here, just a reminder, we'll talk about spoilers right from the beginning. So if you haven't seen the movie, uh, go check it out. You got to go see this in the theater. What was your first impression of minus one? Yeah, um, I wasn't sure what to expect. I was riding high from like like Shin Godzilla, like I said. Like I really, really love that movie. It was obviously, you know, I love it when they use Godzilla as like a metaphor for, you know, something else. In that case, it was the Fukushima um, disaster yeah. in Japan. It was an obvious kind of metaphor. And so when it was for me, it was like, oh, it grounded. It helped to ground it, so I could I could appreciate the movie and this giant dinosaur lizard monster i was like oh but you put it in a social context and all of a sudden it becomes more engaging the i, I actually care about the human characters involved and that kind of thing yeah. it was quite a commentary on like the government like a lot of the uh, the bureaucracies and 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 kind of their their response or, or lack thereof to the to the emergency yeah. situation phenomenal movie really should be yeah it Godzilla. so when i watched this one i was i was maybe because i'd seen the trailers and i was a little bit confused because i thought there's gonna be like a time jump so like when mm. uh, when the um, the main gentleman um, I can't remember the, the the dude's name the pilot there the kamikaze pilot um, uh, you know he's going through and he has this kind of found family where he runs into this after the war he goes home and he you know finds this a chance to kind of this woman who was kind of like adopted this baby after her mother died I thought I was gonna jump ahead because in the trailers I didn't really pick yeah. up on the fact that it was like nineteen uh, the nineteen forties still in that. Uh, <laughs> Oh yeah, in that so I was like, I was, I was, I was a little bit. It was weird because I was waiting for the time jump, but they're spending so much time building up these characters. Like, okay, we're staying with these characters, but overall, um, I'll say that uh, I don't know if this isn't on your top ten list for twenty twenty three films. Then uh, you're doing something wrong. This it was just, <laughs> it was great. Like this is what like normally one of my complaints on watching like a Godzilla film or King Kong film is a don't care about the human characters put the monsters back on screen like these characters are boring yeah. they're ineffective and this movie i felt like oh if you just got rid of godzilla 
This is the first Godzilla movie I was watching where I was like, I don't want more Godzilla. I want to spend more time with, yeah. the, with these characters to figure out. Because like even the, the just the drama itself of these characters in Japan dealing with the fallout, both literally and figuratively, of World War II, th- this found family coming together and building their life back. Like that to me, like that was, if, if the entire movie was just that, that would have been good. Plus on top of that, legitimately, yeah. you get some of the most amazing, um, you know, Godzilla action set pieces in the last, at least the last, well, since 2016. So the last uh, nine years, yeah, eight years, I don't know. But uh, yeah, and like it was phenomenal from start to finish. I was really, really blown away. I was, you know, the action the the drama the emotion like I was tearing up near the end a couple points even at at a Godzilla movie yeah and just like and it was also <laughs> like it was the first time he had his like they kept calling it I think heat ray but it's like a classic atomic breath yeah. and it was incredible to watch visually and listen at the sound design but it was the first time where like oh this felt like because he shoots the blast out and it's almost like an atomic blast. You see like the mushroom cloud. Yeah. It's so powerful. It damages Godzilla himself. In the movie, he regenerates. He has this regenerative yeah. power, but like it evoked images of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, so like obviously in the context, but just like the anytime like you have imagery of any kind of atomic blast or nuclear blast, like that is, it's, it's unsettling to watch that, right? And I think elements like the Black Rain, it's like that's based on historical context yeah. where the ash in the atmosphere gets, you know, um, you know, mixed in with the, with the rain coming down. Um, and that was just like it really sent gave the Godzilla a sense of power. And it was also like it was this weird mix of like, oh, yeah, excitement. And then the horror afterwards of watching this, mm-hmm. this imagery that evoked, you know, very obviously evoked the imagery of like an atomic blast or nuclear blast. And it was like this mix of of excitement and drama and, and horror. And it worked, it just worked so incredibly well. And then the, the scientist, the, the one scientist guy, his hair was amazing. I don't know. I, yeah. <laughs> I feel the need to mention this. Cause like every time he's on screen, it was almost like some of them, it was like almost like anime, anime characters, but like his hair was just, <laughs> just amazing. There's something for everybody in this. What was your first reaction? Brad? sorry, I'm going on too long. Like I obviously love the movie, but what was your reaction? First, first, First impressions of uh, Godzilla minus one. Yeah, I mean, I was just completely blown away. Um, like, it was just, um, it was amazing. I really, I mean, you go in to a movie like that, you're not really sure what you're going to get. Yeah. Um, and it, it's been, well, since Shin Godzilla, before we got another uh, Japanese film, event 2004, before that was like the last Godzilla movie uh, from Japan. And Shin Godzilla was like, I mean, it was nothing short of a masterpiece itself. And one of the things I was heading into this movie was thinking, I hope there's not as much dialogue in this movie because <laughs> like, I'm not opposed, like I have no problems with subtitles, Yeah. but Shin Godzilla, there's so much, it was all about bureaucracy yeah. and all these like boardroom meetings and all these, like there's tons of characters. It was exhausting to read through that entire film. Like it's, there's so much going on. It's packed and it's amazing. And I was like, oh, man, I hope there's not as much here. And there wasn't, but, like, what we got was so damn good. Like, those characters were just amazing. It was like the like the cowardly, failed kamikaze pilot, you know, finding redemption in the end and, like, watching his struggles go through. Like you said, if you took away all the Godzilla stuff, you know, coming home, 
to, and I can't remember the town he's part of, but it was, it wasn't like it was blown apart by different air raids and stuff. So it's this crushed society and he's got to make do. And immediately his neighbor is just like, you're, you're alive. Like seriously, you're a disgrace, right? It's like, this guy feels that tremendous amount of shame uh, for not flying his plane into the side of, of a, like an aircraft carrier or or the enemy target. Uh, Because at that time, I think it was just like, well, well, why should I die when like the war is basically wrapped was, up. It was near time, the end right? of the war. And, yeah. and and it was, by that point it was clear that the allies were winning. And so from his point of view, like why, why throw my life away on a lost cause already? Right. But then, yeah. but then there's also that, that idea of, you know, you know, serving, you know, kind of king and country and like serving your yeah. fellow citizens. And, you know, he had a job to do and he clearly, whether, whether or not you agree morally with the, with kamikaze pilots or the use of kamikaze pilots, he, a specific job to do that in his mind he didn't fulfill right so dealing with yeah. that with that personal fallout and he's dealing with that survivor's guilt throughout the whole thing it's kind yeah. of like like r- very randomly like comes into contact with the with that woman and this baby uh, and they just sort of become a family because all these people have been orphaned the baby's orphaned uh, the woman has lost her family he's lost his family they just come together and when he gets the job of like going out into the seas to like find these, uh, the, uh, all the mines mines that are just out there. They talk about like the thousands of mines laid by both sides. And it was just like, they go out in a wooden boat so as not to attract the magnetic, uh, mines to, to their boat. They don't tag them or anything. They just shoot at them to blow them up. And you're like, it just, that would be an interesting movie itself. And he comes home, yeah. he's dealing with rebuilding their lives and a bit of time passes in between. It was just so good. If you throw in Godzilla in there, and my God, it's just like the helplessness of it all. The movie is named Minus One, which immediately you're thinking is um, just like, oh, this is a prequel to the first Godzilla, right? And it, I guess it's named Minus One because the two atomic bombs dropped on them World War II basically brought their society to zero and then Godzilla coming in and further like the imagery quite clear of like his his atomic breath of this are like nuclear bombs going off again and again and that brings them their society to a minus level like they are going backwards now oh that's interesting yeah yeah I was I would I was wondering kind of why I didn't obviously didn't do any research into the title, but I was always thinking like T minus one, where it's like, Oh, it's the countdown to like a, a yeah. launch or nuclear launch. It was like, I thought that was kind of what they were evoking as well. Talking about like the government again, sort of being inept. They, they don't really want to help. They're just, there's a, there, I, I didn't look into this part because I think after world war two, they were not allowed to build up their military again for a certain period of time. And it was like, they don't have, they had to hand over a lot of their assets and stuff. So I think in this one, that's brought out where it's just like, okay, well, we have this credible threat and the Americans are now kind of like beginning their cold war with Russia. So they don't want to lend any help as well. And they build like that civilian military of like these people have just came back from war and asking them to go do more war with the giant, seemingly unstoppable monster. It's just like, it was a big ask. And I think there's a lot of emotional weight behind that. And even though one of those last scenes is <laughs> plays out a little cheesy where it's like they got these two warships and they're trying to drag Godzilla up to the surface to like decompress him. <laughs> and uh, all the tugboats come out and it's just like all the other civilians that didn't like necessarily make the cut, 
but they want to help out and like sort of led by the guy who was too young to go to war and he doesn't realize the horrors of war and stuff too. It's just like, I love that character throwing him in there. He still wants to help out, not necessarily his country, but like his fellow people because like his scientists and his captain friend and his new pilot buddy, it's quite the group. Yes. I don't know. So much good stuff going on here. <laughs> it's the moment, moment that that moment of the community coming together that Rise of Skywalker tried to do. Yeah, and then, yeah. Like they did, they actually did it well here. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to go back and touch on the point of like having at the end, it was the civilians who 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 banded together to fight off Godzilla successfully, as opposed to yeah. um, the Japanese government. I think there was like twofold reason. One was like the meta reason, you know, where from a storytelling standpoint. You know, they didn't want to, obviously, filmmakers now looking back, they didn't want to give the Japanese imperial government at the time a win, whether, you know, in in this fictional version is like, oh, and that, yeah. that would kind of justify, you know, the the atrocities that they, they had committed or mm-hmm. the decisions they had made. So it was important for the, that it was, a, it was civilians banding together and, and not the Japanese imperial government at the time. But in, in the context of the movie, like you would, uh, like you would said, it, they have found a reason that made sense. It's like, okay, like after the war, as we know now, uh, U.S. and Soviet Union, tensions were growing that would eventually evolve into the Cold War proper. Um, and so they didn't want to, you know, the Japanese government specifically didn't want to start officially making any kind of military maneuvers that would raise yeah. that tension. And so they kind of surreptitiously told them, like, you know, through the civilian channels, there was like the retired general guy there, and the one doctor with the great hair who was on the boat with the main <laughs> character turned out he was like a top military advisor. So they were like, okay, we have to raise this, you know, civilian force to fight. The Japanese government says, okay, we, we have some like some resources in terms of like boats and technology that you can have access to, but we can't officially, um, you know, get involved in fighting off Godzilla, even though it's coming directly at Tokyo as is part of his new territory. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like really interesting how, or it was really perfectly merged how like, you know, that meta concern of, you know, not justifying or not giving the Japanese imperial government of the 1940s a win merged perfectly with, they were able yeah. to give it an in, in universe contextual reason why they wouldn't, you know, launch their entire fleet. What? So then you end up yeah. with like four, was it three or four boats? And then one, one uh, prototype fighter plane, which yeah, yeah. that prototype fighter plane, like that had, that was really cool. They obviously went in and designed that like with an let's have like that just like a immediately recognizable profile. So yeah. like this iconic design so you could see that and look at it in the movie. Like you think about, you know, Star let's go back to Star Wars like Millennium Falcon or X-Wing fighters or something like that. Like this was like their X-Wing. It was like, okay, they kept ma- making the comment, "Oh, it's got the tail wings." But I didn't realize until it flew out it's like, "Oh yeah, the, the wings are kind of further back." on the craft that gave it this really cool kind of unique profiles. Like, Oh, this is, this is really everything. Everything in the movie was just really well thought out that way from, you know, the story elements to the, to the production design. Um, yeah, it was all, it was all great all the way through. Yeah. That plane was killer. It was, they were basically saying they had no, no more airplanes. They'd all been decommissioned after the war. It's like, yeah. it's like they were not allowed to have that. They did not want to have that. They don't want to do anything. Uh, it was so gnarly. And, They've talked. They've touched on that in some of the other Godzilla movies, where sometimes Godzilla will be showing up, and they'll sort of like go to the world platform and sort of ask for help because this is a pretty gnarly force they're up against. And it was like 
I, I think it was the Americans and maybe Russians come out and they're just like, yeah, we have these new bombs that we'd be happy to try out on your Godzilla monster. It was just like, even 30 years after, you know, the original movie and 30 years after World War II, there's still that lingering fear. It's just like, oh, they still want to test their technology of like mass destruction on our people. And Godzilla is always attacking like civilian areas for the most part. He does take out the nuclear power plants because sometimes he just feeds on radiation. As one will. Yeah. <laughs> As one will, right? Oh, and I love it. It's just like Godzilla's motivations. It's just, it just doesn't even matter. He's coming in. He'll usually just pick a straight line and just go for it. Well, in this one, they treated him more, it was like animalistic. The, one of the scary yeah. things about Godzilla in this one was that they were talking like at a high level, oh, it's, it's territorial. So it was like kind of animalistic, just like kind of gut instinct. It's like, okay, it's like, this is part of my territory now. I'm just going to protect it. But like it, they really played up the fact that in this one, Godzilla was more, it was almost like a, a god and we were like ants. He wasn't coming at anybody specifically. He wasn't targeting. Yeah. He was just on a rampage through this place. And he wasn't like the news reporters on that, uh, on the one building who were like, oh, Godzilla's right across the street from us. And he's, wreaking havoc and destruction. He just destroyed this historic theater and he just walks by it and his, his tail, he does, he looks over at them kind of, or doesn't even look over at them maybe, but he walks by and they're like, Oh, you think he's like, Oh, he sees them. He's going to like, he's going to eat them or something. He's like, no, no, his tail just happens to hit their building and they collapse. He doesn't, yeah. the scary thing about this Godzilla. Well, by the time of like when he attacks Tokyo, cause I think we first see him and he's smaller. He's more like T-Rex size. By the time he yeah. gets to Tokyo, he's, Godzilla size, so he's the size of a skyscraper, but he's just like he doesn't care about individual people by that point. We're just ants to him. Mm-hmm. We're nothing to him. He'll unleash his atomic breath on like, oh yeah, like the big battleships that are attacking him, where it's almost like they're big enough to hit for him. It's like, oh, this is like another animal that's attacking me with their atomic breath, so I'm going to use it on them. But like, you have to be at least the size of a, a battleship for Godzilla to notice you in this one. I thought that like that was. That was even, in a sense, more scary. Where we we don't even it register is. on Godzilla's. We're not even on Godzilla's level. He'll he'll like look around. It's like it's just ants crawling around. It's like I don't care. I'm just walking through yeah. here and like destroying these sandcastles. Well, when like the main guy there, like his his girlfriend there is blown away. The city's leveled. He he manages to find like an alleyway, or he's pushed into the alleyway by by his uh, lady friend there because they're not together. Not a special lady. <laughs> yeah, just his lady friend. He's <laughs> like I think he had plans to propose, but. His shame that he carried on for so long, like, prevented him from doing that. So, you know, his special lady uh, pushes him, sacrifices herself. She gets blown away. And, like, he's, I can't remember, does he come out, like, screaming at Godzilla at some point? Like, he's so distraught and angry. But Godzilla. It's in that scene after that, after that atomic, his first atomic blast, which really shows you the power of, you know, truly atomic power of of his breath. And then um, the main character comes out um, and he's screaming and then Godzilla does his roar. So like he's yeah. screaming, but Godzilla doesn't even recognize, doesn't even notice him. And Godzilla does yeah. his kind of classic roar into the heavens there. And so like you see that like there's a parallel between the two of them. And one of them is screaming for the loss of, uh, you know, his loved ones and the people around. I think it was like what they say, 30,000 people were killed in that attack. Insane. Which was was like okay, this is they're pulling. They're not pulling. This is not like the Avengers where they're like, oh, we we evacuated everybody off of uh, out of yeah. Sokovia. No no injuries. Wink wink at the audience. It's like no, there are real consequences for Godzilla's rampage the streets. Yeah. 
So one guy's like crying out to the heavens in anguish, and then Godzilla's crying out to the heavens in like triumph and like you know yeah. on top of the food chain kind of thing. It's like to see that comparison, and that's the scene where you see the black rain come down. I think historically, what happened it was like one or two hours after the um, atomic blast. There's a little bit truncated timeline, but that black rain was that was apparently in. A, I was looking it up afterwards because like it had to mean something. It was a direct reference to what happened after the nuclear blasts that were the nuclear bombs that were dropped in in Japan, and the the ash mixed with the rain clouds, and it literally rained. This, this it was like black. I guess it had the consistency almost of tar, but it was also they didn't they didn't play this up. But the original black rain after the nuclear blasts in Japan was actually it was it was also radioactive as well. So if you were if you were depending on where you were with the black rain, it, it may have had um, adverse effects on you as well. The, here was more, um, you know, symbolic, mm-hmm. um, specifically evoking, you know, especially for a movie made by a Japanese studio, you know, the the bombings of of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, like that was that's a huge part of their um, of their history, right? A huge part of you know the Allies' history yeah. as well for different reasons. Obviously, it was reckoned. We have a different, um, different sides to reckon with uh, on that, um, you Without know. A doubt. But uh, yeah, to all of that imagery of like the nuclear blast and the fallout from the nuclear blast and that kind of devastation, like, like this was a movie that could only have been made by Japanese filmmakers, if that makes sense. Sure. Because it was, it was very much. I think you you touched on the point before where it was talking about kind of, you know, the the kind of survivor's guilt or like that PTSD of of having been in battle and. You know, and you see that manifest differently in different cultures. And you see, this is specifically looking at um, people, um, mostly men, coming back from the war and having to bear those different burdens. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like there's a constant theme. This refrain is like, "Oh, my war is not over yet." The main character keeps saying, and his and his you know special lady keeps asking, "Is like, oh, is your is your war? Are you done your war yet?" Right? Meaning, it's not so easy to come home and like all all the death yeah. and the suffering that you faced. You still you bear that, right? We understand better trauma now, right? It's, we didn't understand it as much at time at the time in the, in the 1940s, but to see him kind of reckoning with that and see a, like a, a specifically Japanese um, perspective of how, of, of how they're reckoning with that, of having been the targets of those nuclear blasts of having kamikaze fighters, people who were, you know, the government was training you specifically to sacrifice your life for king and country, um, I think they went into talking about this. I have to look at the actual historical, uh, you know, text to back to 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 look into this further. But of their tank tanks not being armored properly, you know, et cetera, et cetera, of like the essentially the Japanese imperial government at the time not putting any stock or really devaluing um, not just human life but the lives of their own citizens as well in order to just like mm-hmm. kind of maintain power, right? And so like yeah. dealing with all that burden. And then, yeah, all the imagery and all that, you know, post post war PTSD from a very like from a very specific Japanese perspective. This, if you had given the same script to an American filmmaker, I don't think they would have been able to, um, you know, capture that that essence. Um, so, like, this is, yeah, it's a, it's an amazing like cultural artifact as well. Well said. From that perspective of like, this is a weighty film. There's a lot of big topics being explored like that. Yeah. And not since the very first Godzilla have they re- that I felt like probably yeah, yeah. might be opinion that have they really like that works for the movie the very first round and then it like sort of 
goes further and further from that point where like that commentary uh, lessens over time. But it's like that first Godzilla, uh, not since then has until this movie has has it really felt so significant. And you're like that that destruction is like Godzilla for a lot of people. I think um, it's kind of fun to watch Godzilla just like trample through a city, yeah. blow things up with his atomic breath, and just destroy stuff. Uh, some in some of the movies they make sure it's like yeah a lot of people there's lots of warning we're getting people out of the way cities are evacuated we can enjoy it on a certain level but here it's like you don't give that same level of joy it, it's visually like impressive like it's like it's a sight to behold yeah but you as an audience as a viewer you gotta like you gotta reconcile what just happened right away because they do the human characters and their arcs so well yeah that. It puts those destruction scenes into uh, a greater context and, and more weight for for yourself. A human context, right? So you you feel you're on the ground floor with those characters. You're feeling the weight of yeah. that destruction, as opposed to being an objective observer just watching, you know, like Godzilla knock down some buildings. Like to be on the ground with the character, feeling his grief is like, oh yeah, there's a real human beings who died yeah. in the context of the movie, of course. Um, but yeah, it's just like, you, you feel the emotional weight in this. It was done like really, really well. It was, it was done incredibly well. So maybe, uh, lighten it up a little bit here. <laughs> <Not bad. laughs> this has been great discussion. How do you feel about the look of Godzilla in this movie? I mean, from a purely visual aspect here, I mean, for me, like he was just so gnarly, like he was, he really was a tour de force and he was scary. Right. And yeah. that's something that he doesn't necessarily get in a lot of his movies. He's not necessarily scary looking here uh, probably because of that greater context and the, you know, everything going on around it, it probably lends that to him. But here, like he just, uh, the effects of him, everything looked so good. Oh, yeah. Also, I got to say about this character, like Godzilla is thick. Like, yeah, <laughs> baby got back, man. This guy is like, <laughs> he's got an ass for, it goes for a mile. Like I was looking at his legs. I think it was a throwback to the design of the original, Yes. Godzilla where's the guy in the suit and I and, and that was kind of cool as well but they it was obviously because it was all CG they could make him a little bit more kind of mobile and make it, it's like okay he does have a bigger kind of uh bigger booty but we can actually make him move so it's like okay we can we can see how he's still a threat right and he, and but it's like it's just, I like how he was like this it was this unstoppable force it wasn't like like a zooming in super fast like super agile he was yeah. like you get a sense of scale where he was like moving forward one foot at a time. It was like, just like that inevitable march. Right. Yeah. I think they must've given him such a big booty and like making him so thick <laughs> to really explain like why he's able to float so easily, like in the water, because it looks like he's walking in the water when they're talking about him being like in water, that's 1500 meters deep. And it's just like, when you go back to the other Godzilla movies, it's a guy in a, in a rubber suit and he's literally standing in water and he's always like just at like chest height or whatever. Yeah. But it's like, no, he Godzilla's in the ocean. Like he's a sea faring creature. He can get around pretty, pretty easily and he will yeah. float. Like he does float and he uses that to his advantage. Some of those scenes there where he was destroying like the, uh, the naval, uh, like the warship there. Absolutely insane. Seeing his regeneration abilities when he first gets oh. like one of the mines they recover. And he shoots it near his mouth, and it's just like half his face is blown up. You're like, oh, this Godzilla can be damaged. Yeah, I was expecting it to like, oh, not doing anything to him. But then when it comes up and it's like half his face is blown apart, I was like, oh, yeah. 
man, they can actually do something to it. When he regenerates, though, it's like it's scar tissue. Too. You see, like it's he doesn't yeah. regenerate perfectly. It so and it cool. makes so much sense when they do that. And you're like, okay, he can regenerate, but it's like it it gives you that glimmer of hope that think. If they throw enough fire, conventional firepower at yeah. this guy, they might be able to damage Godzilla and actually take him out. And, of course, the story of the movie doesn't allow that because they're basically being demilitarized here, right? And it's just yep. like they don't have the support of a giant uh, military. Uh, and they haven't developed, like, the uh, laser weapons that they get uh, later on in, in some of the uh, 70s Godzilla films. <laughs> <laughs> or the uh, the magic jets from, like, uh, Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, they, had, uh, they just jumped ahead with from modern technology like 50 years yeah well they definitely get to, i i always thought that was like a throwback to godzilla 85 because they have like this super jet that like can withstand and store the power of his atomic breath when they when it's attacked what and, like kind of shoot it back at him <laughs> there's a lot of fantastical sci-fi in godzilla but stuff that doesn't make a lot of sense it doesn't need to i mean it's a giant monster movie oh, yeah. You had my attention, but now you have my curiosity. Right? There's a lot of funny <laughs> things. I found in the adjacent movies, there's a lot of uh, very advanced spaceships and submarines. It was like they were obsessed with, with super powerful submarines for a little while. They were just, they could do anything they wanted. And submarines that could fly out of the water and turn into jets uh, in the air and shoot mega lasers at things. But, um, yeah, this one, <laughs> it felt pretty grounded and really, really satisfying. Um, the ending there, do you, did you think he was actually, like, gone? Like, some, some of the ending events there where he does end up flying into Godzilla's mouth with a big bomb, blows up his head, right? It's just like, I thought for so sure like, he might have been a goner there. This is, what, like, the scene... Like this whole ending sequence, there was one scene where he was flying in into battle against Godzilla and was playing that. It was like simple three notes. And it was like it was so dramatic and so powerful. Like he fixed this up. Like the the mechanic. Like it was it was great too. Like um the main character there, um Shikishima. Shikishima. Shikishima, who had not only he had kind of he was a kamikaze pilot who had diverted to this island and there was a mechanic there. It was, it was essentially like a, almost like a like a, a resupply base. We get resupplied. You get you get your plane repaired, and you can go on and, and do whatever you're going to do in the war. But there he's he stops there. Godzilla attacks, and he has another opportunity. He runs to his plane. He's got the twenty millimeter guns pointed at Godzilla's head at one point because mm-hmm. Godzilla comes into view when he's Godzilla's just like a I guess a baby because he's only T Rex size at that time. Yeah. And he, again, he doesn't take the shot, and like he freezes up. Or he's scared, and, and like everybody except for the one main mechanic die, but he but he specifically goes to get that mechanic to fix the plane so he can fly, and you know and, and essentially he's like his plan is like you know the scientist has his plan to like oh, we're going to use whatever that uh, chemical is to cause him to sink to the bottom to like hopefully crush him and if not we'll we'll also attach the um, inflatable pads to bring him up and hopefully give him the bend so hopefully the decompression will kill him. Which is like, I thought it was like, okay, I thought it was like, that's such a cool idea. Instead of just like, let's throw a bunch more bombs and artillery. And it was like, no, they were actually like, oh, we, we think of like, we don't have bombs and artillery. What can we do? Oh, the power of the ocean to either crush him yeah. or decompress him or give him the bends. Like, oh man, this is, this is so cool. This is such a cool idea. And it was, to me, it was a throwback to the very first Godzilla where they destroyed Godzilla using what they call the oxygen destroyer, where the, where the scientists is able to create something that basically eliminates the oxygen inside water. And when they use it like to test on a couple of fish in a fish tank, 
uh, it just like obliterates them to, to the point where they're a skeleton. And that's what they do. They lure Godzilla out into the middle of the ocean oh, okay. and blow up the stuff. And it looks visually the same as these Freon tanks exploding around him uh, to sink him. Is that just the water starts bubbling up and forces him to sink down because there's no more oxygen. Freon. And it, was, it yeah. basically, I mean, they're successful. Spoiler alert for the original Godzilla. <laughs> it's successful. Godzilla is turned into a skeleton. And it's questionable afterwards if that very first Godzilla... I mean, he never comes back. There's more Godzillas out there, right, uh, later on in the movies. But this one, bring him down to the bottom. Like, I loved it. Uh, where it's just like 1,500 meters. That's enough to, like, crush everything. If it's not, bring him back up to the surface really quickly. You'll get the bends. It'll decompress <laughs> or whatever. And it's just like, it'll, it should be a gnarly end and, for him. And, and they uh, foreshadowed it with the fish who would always precede Godzilla coming. It's like, oh, the fish were being forced up. Super yeah. so fast that they were being turned inside out, right? It's like okay, it was yeah. all foreshadowed as well, but yeah, that final battle with 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 Shikishima, where he essentially was like trying to get redemption for like, oh, I was I was a I was a coward. I, I didn't have what it took to go through with the Kamikaze mission. I didn't have what it took to shoot Godzilla, and and that kind of parallel that guilt parallels like kind of that after the war when he comes home. And his neighbor says, like, oh, if you would have if you would have done your duty, we could have won the war, right? Yeah. It's like so he feels that guilt. It's like, oh, if I would have shot Godzilla, we could have won this battle before it started, which knowing what we know about Godzilla in that movie now is dubious, but he still feels that guilt, right? And it's a, and again, it's like that reckoning of like we know now, of course, if if he had been successful, he wouldn't have won the war, right? But it's like that again, trying to re- it's that trying to reconcile, you know, the post mm-hmm. post war whether your side won or lost, you have to reconcile with how you came in that position, right? So for him to, you know, you think that oh, he's setting up for the kamikaze mission where he's going to get, a, he's going to finish his kamikaze mission, go sacrifice himself, kill Godzilla. You know, if, if the plan to, with the Freon and everything doesn't work, he's still, as a last resort, he can still fly his plane yeah. with the bomb into Godzilla's mouth. But then it ties in perfectly. He saves himself. You see him, you see the mechanic before he launches off. He's telling him, like, this, here are the upgrades I made. But then it kind of pans out. And he's like, there's one more thing I got to tell you. And he points to something. I kind of knew that he was, it was an ejection yeah. switch. So, but when the moment hit, when you realize, like, because you, you, the way they film it, you show him flying in, is like, oh, but you yeah. see him, and then the, and they look, look, he's parachute. It's like, and he lived, right? And it's like, it's still, even though you kind of knew it was coming, it's like you still like breathe that sigh of relief. It's like, okay, especially with, you know, the scientist there. I can't remember the dude's name with the great hair, but like when they're pre- prepping for the battle the night before and he's like, go home to your family. So right? we're, we're, we need to get be ready by um, 0800 because we're estimating that Godzilla's going to be here by 1100. And then one of the guys says, oh, you mean like go home to spend with our families you know, to prepare, i.e. prepare to die, right? Because we're probably yeah. going to die. And he's like, no, you know what? Like, that's when he goes yeah. into that speech about like, no, for so like the Japanese government, they treated us as expendable. They didn't armor the tanks properly. They had kamikaze fighters where literally our people were being sacrificed as weapons. Like, no, go home and spend time with your family because to remind yourself what's worth living for. Like, we're going to have a mission where no one is going to sacrifice themselves and no one's going to die because we value yeah. human life now, right? It's like, we're going to take the opposite approach of the Japanese imperialist government. It was such a moving speech, such a moving sentiment. And then to have like this guy feel like, Oh, I have to kill myself. You know, I have to complete my kamikaze mission. Like Shikishima feels like he has to complete his mission. He felt like he shouldn't have come home from the war. He feels like survivor's guilt where he should have died in his mission. 
but then to have him choose life, right? He could have he could have not pulled the eject button at the end, right? Yeah. He could have sacrificed himself needlessly, but just just to you know to satisfy the ghosts of the people that that died that he felt guilt for. But in the end, he chooses life, and it's such, such I thought that was such a powerful message, combined with you know all the all the storytelling elements where they they choose life. I don't think they did lose anybody in the mission, right? Where they they were fighting instead of fighting instead of being willing to sacrifice your life for the missions. Like we're gonna fight to live, and we're gonna fight for each other to to save as many lives as opposed to you know we're gonna put value in human life as opposed to devaluing human life, and that's yeah. how we're gonna win. And I thought it's like. A, what a powerful message, and B, it was—it just was that theme was woven in, and that message was woven in so perfectly with the events of the movie that I can't remember. There was one scene right at the end where it was like complete silence. I think it was was it right before he flew his plane in? Oh, possibly. Yeah. There's that one scene that's complete silence, and it's like it worked so well, and I was just like, I was just like f- feeling like these emotions, like you were feeling the excitement and the adrenaline pumping, but then like the emotions, like oh, is his his adoptive daughter going to be an orphan now because you know yeah. the mother we didn't know she didn't actually die we saw her get you know taken away in the blast turns out she's alive at the end is this going to is he going to you know to satisfy his own guilt is he going to leave another orphan behind or is he able to, to kind of work through the demons of his past and work through kind of his PTSD and it's such an emotional moment as well as an exciting moment like it's it's the emotion tied to the action tied to the drama and it's all woven so well, the themes and the, and the action and, and the characters. And it's just like this, this perfect moment. So when you, when that bomb goes off, you see him, he's alive. Bomb goes off. Like Godzilla was powering up to fire his, mm-hmm. his beam again, his atomic breath or his heat, his heat ray rather. And his head blows up. And then you see like the energy that he stored up for the heat ray to like just shooting out his body and his body disintegrates and crumbles yeah. around him. It was like, oh my God, it was beautiful. It was so great. And it like made sense in the context of the movie, how these big destroyers with their giant guns couldn't destroy him. But like this, this perfect set of circumstances where they weakened him by yeah. sinking him to the bottom of the ocean, bringing him back up again. And then he's about to power up in the middle of powering up, he gets blown up. And so that energy has to dissipate. It's like, oh, this, everything made like contextually in the, in the context of the story and the world that made perfect sense as well. It's like, everything was just, ah, uh, chef's kiss, right? It was, it was perfect. It was beautiful. <laughs> I think he summed it up pretty well there. It was just like, everything about this movie just works uh, so perfectly. Even when he goes back to see his future wife, uh, Noriko, uh, discovering she's still alive, she's in the hospital, and then like one of the last scenes is kind of like, I, I think they're hugging, and the camera pads down to her neck, and it's like there's this like blackness in her veins. Okay, I thought and so. And it's like that harkens back to what you said earlier, where it's like that black ash, like that's falling from the sky, had greater effects to the people who survived yeah. uh, later on from the atomic blast. Just like that is probably exactly where she got this whatever it's going to be for a, uh, you know, leaving the door open for the inevitable sequel, uh, something bad will, will possibly happen to her or she'll turn into a uh, superhero as well, which can happen in Godzilla movies too. Really? But, uh, <laughs> I mean, everything about it was just perfect. I don't think I could add anything else to, to the movie there. That was one of my only gripes with the film is I thought they had fridged Noriko mm-hmm. um, for people listening when you when you you're fridging a character, it typically refers to a female character. Fridging a character means to kill off or have a female character kill off a female character or have a female character suffer in order to advance the character 
um, of a male character. I think it comes from, I think there was a specific movie where literally like a female character, um, kind of trigger warning here, maybe got like chopped up and killed and put in the fridge. Um, so like they kind of, they kind of did at the end where they're like, they kind of showed as like, Oh, she's still alive. But they kind of, that was my only kind of one gripe with the film is how they kind of use the the female characters, you know, fake out death to motivate the main male character. They, uh, at the end, they showed that she wasn't quite dead or not, not dead at all. (laughs) She's Oh, as an, in in the Princess Bride, they say, "Oh, she's she's not dead. She's just mostly dead." Um, but that, that I think that was like literally my only gripe with the movie was like the, how how they almost fridged the 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 female character to motivate the male character. But then I think that's literally the only negative I have about yeah. the film. Like other than that, it was like I've I've been struggling to think of anything negative because like it can't be this great, right? can't be <laughs> it it has no right being this great but it is literally this great um absolutely astounding um just a couple things i like and this happens in a lot of godzilla movies somebody will see godzilla the the runner they'll tell people it's just like oh my god there's this giant monster this godzilla is here and people are like they don't not believe the character right because he, and the same thing happens here he runs into Godzilla in his like in his tinier T-Rex form on that yeah. island earlier in the movie. And only one other guy survives to possibly tell the tale. And they don't they don't really talk about it too much. And he's telling his buddies on the boat, it's just like, yeah, there's this giant monster, and I think that's what it is. And they call them Godzilla. And the other people aren't making fun of them. They're they don't go into immediate disbelief mode. They're just like, oh my God, if that's true, like we have no reason not to believe you because you're an honest person. It was just like, <laughs> this is really bad for people, right? It was refreshing that they didn't waste a bunch of time. I was like, oh, we don't believe this guy. And then it's yeah. like the, the kind of Cassandra um, syndrome where it's like you're running around and nobody believes you. Um, it was yeah. it was great. They didn't, they didn't waste time on that nonsense. Like they were kind of dubious. It's like, really? There's a giant monster. It's like, okay, we, we haven't seen it, but we'll, you know yeah. what? We'll, we'll prepare. Cause like, I think that speaks to the mentality. Maybe it's the, again, that Japanese point of view, right? It's like, you know, until until we got two nuclear bombs dropped on us, we wouldn't have believed they existed either. So maybe there's like a yeah. more willingness. Oh, this that's a good point. This dude is like saying, like, oh, yeah, something bad, something really bad is coming. I've seen it with my own eyes, and they're like, they've just been nuked twice by weapons that they couldn't possibly have, they didn't even yeah. believe existed or no existed. It's like, you know what? They're probably it makes sense probably from the Japanese storytelling point of view, where it's like. Oh yeah, we're gonna believe this guy just in case it, it, it turns out to be true. We're not gonna take any chances anymore. It's like, yeah, we're gonna give him the benefit of the doubt. It's like they're very, <laughs> they're very well could be a giant dinosaur-like monster. It's like let's let's get those uh, those recovered mines ready just in case, right? Unbelievable. So I we could get into our ratings now. Anything else to add before we do? No, I think uh, I think that was it. I think we touched on kind of the major all the major kind of plot points, all the major themes. There's, I mean, we could talk more about this i mean what was that island was it odo island i think the original I think so, sequence yeah. like every every sequence in here could be an episode unto itself it was just like everything yeah. was so there was so much going on plot wise character wise thematically and also i really appreciated especially after watching all the american versions recently of like the the monster verse of you know godzilla and godzilla versus kong and all this finally we get again just like shin godzilla another well-lit movie where I can fully yes. see Godzilla. I can see exactly what's going on. It's not a bunch of, it's not dark. And 
all the action's not obscured by smoke or snow or whatever else it is. I was like, like the American Hollywood take notes. You can actually show your monster in, in broad daylight and he's still scary as all hell. Right. Well, like, I have to, yeah, I have to talk about this for a second because the 2014 American Godzilla directed by Gareth Edwards, uh, we recently talked about the creator. Oh, that was, a, that was the worst offender, man. I still think it's a good movie. And there's some stat out there where Godzilla appears on screen more in that movie than most of the Godzilla movies that came previous to it, which seems astounding because that's one of the biggest complaints of the movie is that we barely get to see Godzilla. But I hate to break it to you, but a lot of the older Japanese movies are like that where they lead up. If a movie's 90 minutes long, it's an hour lead up with human characters and one, possibly two Godzilla oh. encounters with a 20 or 30 minute. Here's the payoff though. 20 minute <laughs> ba- battle royales with giant monsters at the end, right? Which we sort of get in that Godzilla movie, but the effects specifically called out in that 2014 for being too dark. And I think they actually remastered the movie on Blu-ray after the initial release to brighten it up a little bit so people could actually see what the heck yeah, is going yeah. on, so on my, screen here. To be, to be clear, my complaint wasn't how much screen time Godzilla had in the 2014 version or any of the MonsterVerse versions. My my complaint was like when he did have screen time, I could barely see what was going on because it was either blurry or it was obscured. Yeah. It was dark. It was really poorly lit or it was like obscured by smoke or haze or something. So you see like you see technically you'd see Godzilla but you'd see him through like a haze in the middle of the night. So I couldn't, I could see him technically, but not really. So that, that was my complaint. Not about the, the amount yeah. of, of screen time from Godzilla on those MonsterVerse movies, but MonsterVerse movies, but the quality of the uh, Godzilla shown in the, in the movies. Yeah. And that was one of the things for Godzilla King of the Monsters, which I think was the second American one. They actually just like amped up the amount of on-screen monsters as a direct like response to people complaining about how little Godzilla there was. And you sacrifice even more of the actual drama and human characters that actually drive these oh, movies yeah. forward. And then, and then again, there was like, they were in the, the first fight of that movie, Godzilla King of the monsters, big snowstorm. There was, uh, yeah, there was yeah. monsters like blurry. There's like blurry stuff behind snow and smoke. Like they were technically on screen and I couldn't see a thing that was happening. So it was like, yeah, they're, they're kind of, they're taking the wrong message away from the from the feedback. Yeah. <laughs> and there's one quote from Gareth Edwards after watching Godzilla minus zero, where he said minus one. This minus one. Yes, yeah, sorry, minus zero. <laughs> um, <laughs> have I been calling it minus zero this entire time? Yes, and I just didn't correct you until now. No, no, the first time. <laughs> I'll just go back and re-edit all the zeros into yeah, so ones. I'm sure it'll sound seamless. Godz- I remember watching Godzilla minus one. <laughs> Peters, <laughs> I really love Godzilla minus one. <laughs> oh, man. So Gareth Edwards has been quoted as saying, this is what a Godzilla movie should be. And he was uh, apparently jealous of this film after his outing uh, in the Godzilla uh, universe there, but uh, I just thought that was, it's an interesting quote. And I think it took, a, I think this movie took a lot of people by surprise Yeah, that Godzilla's kind of been relegated to more, maybe more of the cappy, you know, guy in a suit, stomping through miniatures, kind of, I don't want to say like put down, but kind of in that B movie territory for so long. And something like this, Shin Godzilla was, was really awesome. Yes. And this comes out and this is in my mind, even better. Um, I mean, you can't discount Godzilla. It's just uh, it's just really good stuff. We should talk about ratings, I guess. I guess. 
And one, so we use the, uh, you know, zero to five star scale with a possible like on that to sort of mirror our, uh, our letterbox rating platform. Um, I have a feeling, well, I'm kind of <laughs> interested to see where you land. Like, I don't want to take a full guess here, but what, what, what's your rating on this? Man, before we started talking, I was going to, I was thinking like somewhere in the range of 4.5 to five stars, but I think I'm going to have to settle on five stars. Like after talking about yeah. this, I'm just like. I'm always dubious the first time I watch a movie. It's like, oh, I'm trying to be careful and like hold back excitement and enthusiasm because usually it's like the the cult of the new, right? It's like that uh, it's a new big shiny yeah. thing. And it's only been, you know, less than 24 hours since I've seen the movie <laughs> for the first time. But then talking to you right now, I'm just like, I can't think of anything that should bring this down. I'm going to have to give this like a five out of five. Like this was just... It's just, just an all-around great movie. How, how about you? What was your rating on this? It was a straight five from the get-go. Nice. Again, nice. I, I do struggle with that idea of giving a movie five stars right off the first viewing, but I think I'm trying to come a, or trying to come away from that idea and like be yeah. a little more brave giving that five stars. We do have in our system the like, which I do hold back for future viewings. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I don't think I really give, except maybe one or two movies, the like immediately. Uh that being said, like, this is five stars, and I loved it. I loved it every second of it. I was tempted to go back to the theater <laughs> to see it again oh, yeah. because I get it. Um, <laughs> we've been spoiled for the past uh, couple of years in terms of turnaround time for, uh, like, the digital release of, like, a Blu-ray release. And they, um, when I'm Googling or searching how long it's going to be before Minus One hits, you know, media and whatnot... They're saying it could be six or more months based on wow. previous history with like Shin Godzilla took almost a full year to come out. Uh, and it's because of all the light rights issues, licensing, all this stuff is a, it's a foreign film. It's Japanese. Uh, so getting it onto like us North American streaming services is more of a, is more involved in doing that, getting it released on physical media. I think I'd look forward. I mean, it's a day one purchase for me. Oh yeah. hundred percent. But it sounds like it could be a ways away. So I'm thinking, you know, it's still playing in theaters right now. I might actually have to go out and see this again uh, because it was just, it was just amazing. Movie so nice. You had to see it twice in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> you want to see one movie in theaters? Go see Godzilla Minus One. It was just all around a great experience. Um, I took, uh, I went to see this with my son who is... 13. I definitely didn't mm -hmm. forget my son's age. <laughs> <laughs> um, so people concerned about subtitles or anything, having to read subtitles, because this is, you know, when it was playing here, it was the original Japanese with English subtitles. Yeah. And like, I, I warned my, I, or I told my son, like, this is what it's going to be. He was able to follow along, no issues. So if you were ever worried about trying to follow along and read subtitles on a, you know, uh, I'll say foreign language film, essentially like any film that's not non-English for our English speaking listeners, you can do it. My 13 year old son can do it. Yeah. Um, not discounting people who actually do have like dyslexia. If you don't have dyslexia, you should be able to see any movie with subtitles. No problem. So it's not, I don't think it's a barrier to, to entry for this movie at all. Um, we want to talk about some, how the movie has been received around the world. Well, I shouldn't say around the world. They're, these are North American sites, basically Rod Tomatoes and IMDb. They have worldwide appeal, but they're mostly North American focused. Uh, what do you think the Rotten Tomatoes critic rating is 
for Godzilla minus one. I'm seeing something now. It's coming to me. Yes. A 92? 98%. Oh my God. 98%? Wow. Audience rating. I'm just going to spoil it. It's also at 98% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. That's amazing. It it definitely deserves this. 100%. Pretty astounding. IMDb, they use the uh, 10 10 point scale for a score out of 10. And what do you think its average among its users is? Well, let's go 8.7. Pretty close. It's at 8.5 right now. Okay, okay. And finally, where you can find us on Letterboxd, <laughs> its user's average is... 4.2. Spot on. Oh, yeah. 4.2. <laughs> nice. I think there was some uh, some shock and uh, maybe some dubiousness about a week or two after this movie released, this was actually into the letterbox top 250 narrative movies. Okay. I can't remember. I think it's that spot number 208 as of this recording, uh, to get a recent movie into the top 250 is maybe a bit of a stretch, but the numbers don't lie. Uh, 4.2 average at 98% Rotten tomato critics audience. Like people are loving this movie. It's great to see. It's great to see. Like, this is the kind of movie, I don't know if it's going to be up for any Oscars in terms of, like, foreign films. It should be up for Best Picture, like, 100%. It's like, we'll see. We'll see if that actually happens. We'll see what, uh, how the, I don't put that much stock in awards. Uh, yeah. Awards uh, in the industry anymore. But I, I really do hope that this gets, um, you know, the accolades it deserves, if only to boost that, um boost people's knowledge and, and get more people increase that audience. Cause like these are the f- people talking about, you know, originality. And even though this is, yes, it's part of a long running <laughs> franchise. Um, yeah. They've, you know, they had the, the gumption or the chutzpah to kind of go back to the drawing board, reinvent the character again. Then like, you know, the writer is a studio. They weren't afraid to, um, you know, kind of, kind of reinvent and, you know, use use the character to tell a story um, instead of just trying to build into the franchise. Like I don't, I don't even yeah. think. I think you could maybe argue that you know Godzilla minus one and Shin Godzilla are in the same continuity. Kind of make once I won't spoil anything for Shin Godzilla, but like it, it could potentially be in the same continuity. But that doesn't have to be right. I, I, yeah. I almost if they were going to take this approach to storytelling with Godzilla and just like tell like give directors and writers the freedom just to tell standalone stories using the character, you know, pick, you know, what is Godzilla going to represent in this one? Like in this case, it's, it's, you know, Godzilla represents like, you know, the threat of nuclear war represents, you know, uh, veterans guilt and PTSD after coming home from, from war has all these different Godzilla has all these different meanings. So to take him, put him in a new context, him or her, it's not, it's not reveal whether it's a, it's a, a boy or a girl. So it could be, it's non-gender specific. So, you know, depending on how you like your giant uh, murder, murder lizards, but like, I would, I would love to see them do, continue. don't worry about continuity. Like that, just tell good stories using the, using this character. And I think I'd be perfectly happy seeing just like, Oh, set them, set them in the future, set them, set them in present day, but like do something interesting and use it to tell a story and explore those ideas. Like they were asked, they were on the right track with this movie. Well said. And that's a wrap on another episode. 
As always, we appreciate you hanging out with us today and taking the time to listen to our podcast. We have a lot of fun putting these together and hope that you get some enjoyment out of them as well. You can find us online over at realfilmchronicles.com where we have not just a repository of podcast episodes, but many of our written reviews as well. If you're up to it, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram as well. All the links should be within the show notes here. So until next time, take care of yourself and others and be sure to enjoy your film journey.